I think, started last week in his little series on, on Samson. Um, uh, the rest of us uh, are going through uh, Philippines. So if you want to just, if you've got your Bibles with you or your phones and your apps and bits and pieces, um, get, get those out. Uh, I started this off a couple of weeks ago and just helped us look, hopefully, at Paul's heart for this church in Philippi, just to uh, sort of recap in terms of, remember, he was on, uh, this is his second missionary journey, um, having started out in Damascus, uh, sorry, in, in Antioch, <laughs> down here, and had traveled right the way through and had ended up in Philippi, up here in, in Macedonia. And he's now writing to this church that was planted out of that missionary trip about 10 to 15 years later after he'd been traveling. And Paul himself now is in prison for the gospel. And he's reminding the Philippines on a couple of things, but primarily about the joy that he has in partnering with them in spreading the gospel message. And uh, we get this sort of opening um, few verses in terms of his prayers of thanks uh, to God for them, being confident that God who started a good work in them will continue it. And uh, we looked at a few of those, those points uh, last time. This morning, we are just going to cover verses 12 to 18. So we're not rushing through um, the book, uh, but we're going to try and pick up what he goes on to say. Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning uh, in your word, uh, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is speaking to us already. Thanking you that you are at work amongst us. Thanking you, Lord, that you want to shape us and change us, make us more like Christ in our day-to-day walk. Lord, that you want to introduce yourself to us, even if we don't know you here this morning. You want to come and reveal your amazing love, extravagant grace towards us. Even as we sung that last song that, you know, our sin has been washed away. We have been washed clean. And so we boldly approach you in song, in worship, in word, in our hearts, in our minds. We come before this amazing throne of grace and ask that you'd speak to us, shape us. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Help us engage, we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, let's, uh, we're just going to read those few verses through, uh, and then we're going to look at three elements that I believe Paul highlights to us. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the Gospels. Remember, he's in prison, he's in chains. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Just interesting how uh, Paul is underlining to the Philippines his passion for the gospel to be preached, no matter what circumstances are happening. And remember, the whole sort of theme that we're looking at is joy no matter what. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can find joy in God through the gospel. And no matter what's happening in your life right now, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, there is something that Paul wants us to get hold of as we receive this amazing grace and truth and live it out in our day-to-day lives. I was only speaking to um, somebody yesterday at at this um, meeting in Weymouth, and uh, and he was saying that, you know, I just... I don't want a church that's full of programs that do this, do that, do the other. So they're all helpful, and we do that. We, we run things because we think it's good to do that, and we get discipled through these things. But he said, my greatest passion is that the likes of us in our just everyday life live this stuff out. You know, we don't need a program to reach people. You and I, just wherever you are, whatever you do, you can reach people. And he said, my biggest passion is as churches that we, we don't hold people in by making ourselves so busy, but we just through what we do can reach those who are far from God. And I, and I would echo that whole sentiment. I, I want to, I love it when I hear stories of, I was at, I remember Marianne, just uh, Marianne, your, your bus stop conversations. I haven't heard of any of those recently. We need some more bus stops. You've got one. Do you want to do it now? Come on, come on. No, no, the, the price is right. Come on down. I've lost the microphone. What did I do with it? There it is. It's, just, it's good to hear these things. Just encourage us. Yeah, I think it's all ready to go. Yeah. Well, I was waiting on the seafront um, for a bus that was about 25 minutes. So I sat on the shelter and a chap came along and um, he was of Chinese origin. So he said... I don't know how we got around to it, but we got around to religion. Yeah, great. <laughs> and uh, he didn't have a particular one, but he'd obviously got Christian friends. So I did my bit, you know, and because uh, I've always got a knowing God personally. Brilliant. So I said, can I leave this with you? Brilliant. So he got that. and Great. You know, yeah. Brilliant. So that was it. Excellent. Well done. Fantastic. Okay, let's give a round of applause. We need to celebrate these things. Just day-to-day life looking for God to, to, to move. Uh, we had a sort of nothing quite so um, overtly Christian, but in terms of uh, a bus stop story, we had a bus stop story, didn't we? You're looking at me puzzled now. I had a phone call from Jemima um, when I was at work about 10 days ago. So, Dad, Dad, uh, I'm, I'm up in Dorchester. She goes to Thomas Hardy School. And she goes, I've left my history folder at the bus stop out on Dorchester Road. And this was about 50 minutes after she'd actually caught the bus and, um, and had phoned me. So can you go and have a look for this, this folder? And so I trundle out of our, our office, which isn't far from the bus stop where she, she takes the bus, and cannot find a folder anywhere. And um, uh, I came back to the office and I was telling a couple of the staff there, 
And I said, actually, I know there's a bin there. I didn't look in the bin. So one of them decided, I'll go on and have a look in the bin. So Deb in our office, she went up the road. She started foraging around the bin in case somebody put it in the bin. Um, and, uh, and so I said to my mom, okay, we're just going to pray, but we're going to do a few things. Uh, phone Dan, Dan the man, because uh, his connection with, obviously, uh, the buses. Maybe Dan can help. Uh, so you got hold of Dan, and, and I think the message was, you have to wait until the bus gets back in case you've left it on the bus. Anyway, cut a long story short, about an hour later, Mima phones me to say that uh, a lady had been walking past the bus stop, had seen the folder, had found that it was her folder and it had Thomas Hardy's school on it, phoned the school and said, there's a student who's lost their folder. I found it and I've got it for her. And, uh, and so I said, okay, well, get some chocolates and stuff and we'll say, you know, massive thank you to her. But when you came to collect it, she had dropped it off at a local shop because she couldn't meet her at that time. And just the story goes on. But we just look for opportunity. Every opportunity, we're looking to see God move in our day-to-day lives. So please, please hear me, church. We don't need programs as we live out uh, our life to, to reach uh, people. And I believe this is the heart that we see in Paul here in Philippines. Just in his circumstances, he uses those even though they are difficult to reach people. So we're going to look at three R's this morning. Uh, Recognizing God's hand in your circumstances. That's the first R. Recognizing God's hand in your circumstances. Second R is realizing there are two kinds of people in your life. And thirdly, rejoicing when Christ is exalting. So recognizing, realizing, and rejoicing. So recognizing God's hand in your life. As Paul is here in jail, he's had uh, a pretty rough time. Um, he's been preaching the gospel and uh, he's ended up in prison for the very fact of sharing his faith. Now, I don't think any of us probably in this country, maybe things will change, but certainly as things stand at the moment, we are free to come in here. We're free to have the door open, worship our God with really no fear that we're going to get hoiked off by the authorities for preaching the gospel. But Paul here, he has gone for it no matter what his circumstances. If you read in 2 Corinthians, he gives us a little bit of an insight in his letter to the Corinthian church of what's happened to him. He says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been dangerous from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and I have toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and I've been naked. It's 2 Corinthians 11. We had a week like that. Not many of our weeks look like Paul's week. He's gone through a lot. That would put it mildly. But at the heart of it, he's still passionate that the gospel is preached. The good news is shared. Gordon Fee says about Paul, he says, to advance the gospel has been Paul's lifelong passion. And I just say, I hear that and I think, oh, do you know, my lifelong passion, 
Wow. See Liverpool win the Champions League next week, a few weeks' time. England in the World Cup. I don't know. I mean, we have things in life, don't we, that we long to see and happen, whatever they look like, see my kids grow up and do well in life, whatever it might be. But Paul had set his heart out totally that his lifelong passion was to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel across the world is a hard thing to do. Um, if you think about Coca-Cola, now, there aren't many places in the world, I think, if you went and asked somebody, have you heard about Coca-Cola? They would say, no, what is that? Apparently, according to statistics, 91% of the world has heard about Coca-Cola. 91% of the world, almost everybody has heard about Coca-Cola. 74% of the world have seen Coca-Cola. 51% of the world, half of our, I don't, what, how many are in the world these days? It's one or two, isn't it? It's quite, quite a lot. Half of them have tasted Coca-Cola. And they reckon, uh, these are the latest statistics I could find this week, they reckon that still 24 to 27% of the world's population have not heard the gospel. A quarter of the world's population have not heard, more have heard about Coke, more have tasted Coke than have heard the gospel. We've still got a massive work to do. And we've been given this amazing gift. Fritz Kreisler, uh, who lived from 1875 to 1962, was a world-famous violinist, earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions, but he generously gave most of it away. So when he discovered an exquisite violin on one of his trips, he wasn't able to buy it. Later, having raised enough money to meet the asking price, he returned to the cellar hoping to purchase this beautiful instrument. But to his great dismay, it had been sold to a collector. Chrysler made his way to his new owner, the new owner's home and offered to buy the violin. The collector said it was his prized possession and he would not sell it. Keenly disappointed, Chrysler was about to leave when he had an idea. Could I play the instrument once more before it is consigned to silence, he asked. Permission was granted and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. I have no right to keep that to myself, he exclaimed. It is yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it to the world and let people hear it. You know, we've been given an amazing gift. You, you know that. Honestly, do you know that? This isn't just, oh, I'm here on a Sunday morning because that's what Sunday mornings are about. Go to church, I do that. You, if you know Jesus, have been given a most amazing, amazing gift. Just, you've been given. You didn't ask for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't win it. You've been given this amazing gift. Take it to the world and let people hear it. Paul's 
recognizes in his circumstances that he has been given this amazing gift. There's no sense of self-pity in Paul. There's no sense of, do you know what, my life is a little bit tough at the moment and I'm having a difficult time. And I'm sure he was. We don't, we don't, we, we hear a lot of Paul sort of saying, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. We hear about what he's doing, but we don't hear about, you know, if I was in prison, I'd be telling you about the creepy crawlies and, and you know, the just, you know, the prison guard smell and, you know, it's just not a nice place. I'd be telling you that's, that. You don't get any of that in Paul's letters. It, tell, it doesn't tell us about his personal circumstances, but he tells us about what is going on, what's happening. And these amazing moments where, remember when we looked at how the church in Philippi was planted with the people that, remember the story in Acts where we looked at, you know, the, um, Lydia, the, the businesswoman and the Philippine jailer. Well, he, he understands the, the jail scene. He's seen miraculous moments where God's opened jail doors and people have come saved. But Paul's seen that. He's seen God's sovereignly work. And yet here in prison, we don't hear him praying, oh, Lord, would you do that again? Would you do another miracle like you did last time? He's praying, oh God, I, want, I want people, even the prison guard, to know this God that I know. He's using his circumstances to further the gospel. The effects of the chains on himself, he's not so interested in. But he is interested in seeing others come to know him. Alec Mochia, who was, a, I think he was a vicar over in... Um, Bournemouth. Um, he's written some of the Bible Speaks Today um, commentaries. He says this, he, he did not see his suffering, talking about Paul, as an act of divine forgetfulness. Why did God let this happen to me? Nor as a dismissal from his service. I was looking forward to years of usefulness and now look at me. Nor as a work of Satan. I was afraid that the devil might have had his way this time. But as a place of duty, he saw his suffering as a place of duty, the setting for his service, the task appointed. He didn't see his suffering as something to hold him back. He saw it as something to pursue moving forward. I'm sure Paul would have rather have been anywhere else than in prison. I'm sure he would have done. He probably was thinking maybe I would have been more effective, but he didn't use that as an excuse. He took courage in a tough place and used it for God's good. Remember, he also wrote this when he was suffering. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, see, the situation now for Paul is he's in a place of weakness, but he's seeing God's amazing strength work through. You know, sometimes God places us in planes, for example, metaphorically, where he puts chains on us. He takes us to places that... Actually, we perhaps would prefer not to be in, but he takes us to these places because he's got a greater plan to accomplish. And actually, we have to look to using our chains that sometimes we happen through life as an opportunity rather than a, a hindrance. 
I'm sure many of you, uh, certainly if you're of my age and older, uh, would have heard of Johnny Erickson Tarder. Uh, Johnny was uh, a young lady. She had a, a swimming accident or a diving accident. She dived into, uh, into the sea and as she dived in, she hit her neck on some rocks and uh, broke, I think broke her neck, um, but was basically paralyzed um, from the waist down um, for the rest of her life. And, you know, I'm sure she would have never chosen that life. And yet God had used her incredibly um, over the years in terms of reaching people through her ministry. Many have come to know her, um, come to know Jesus through her testimony. She's, if you like, used her chains to further the gospel. There's another chap, Nick Vudic. Have any of you seen Nick Vudic on, on YouTube? Um, so an Australian young man uh, was born without any limbs, so he has no arms and he has no legs. Um, and uh, just look it up when you go home on YouTube and, and you hear his testimony of, I think it was something around the age of eight or nine. He was so depressed because of his condition, uh, had thought about how he's going to take his life. And then about the age 15, he encounters Jesus. Um, gloriously, and uh, and now has a, a ministry where he is. I, I think it's something like forty-four countries he's spoken into. Uh, just incredible guy with a massive heart, and yet has used his chains to furthermore further the gospel. What are the chains that sometimes we have, and how do we respond to them? The secret of using our chains is to look for circumstances that God has given us and rejoicing in them rather than complaining. I know my default is the pendulum swinging. I can feel, oh, God, why is this happening? Rather than actually, Lord, you've taken me through this season for good. We're looking for ways to recognize God's hand in our circumstances. Situations of life that, where it is difficult. And yet you see God moving. Suffering or salvation, what do we choose? What do I choose? Remember what Paul said to these guys at the beginning? All things work for good for those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. What God started in you, he will bring it through. You see, yeah, the theme that as God is encouraging them, is you might be in difficulty, you might have challenges, but God what's, who started it will bring it through. See your circumstances as an opportunity for the gospel to be shared amongst the unsaved. So in verse 13, he says this, as a result, it has become clear, as a result of me being in chains, as a result, my circumstances right now, it's been it's clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chain for Christ. The imperial guard were a group, elite group of soldiers. They would have been uh, stationed in Rome. Uh, they were there primarily to protect the emperor. And at times they estimate that were probably somewhere between 10,000 and 16,000 of these troops in Rome at one time. As a result, it's become clear throughout, not some, not just the ones in my cell, 
throughout the palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Apparently, these men would have served as uh, over the guards in prison, and Paul would have been sharing his faith with them. They would have been up close and personal. They would have heard Paul pray. They would have heard him sing songs of worship. They were hearing the gospel. And Paul is celebrating at this opportunity to reach. If he hadn't been in prison, he probably wouldn't have reached these prison guys. I mean, that's the reality. He probably wouldn't have done. Can you imagine being a prison guard? Imagine Andrew is Paul, okay? You're very Paul-like. Imagine Andrew's Paul, and he's praising and worshipping and glorifying God 24-7. And I'm the prison guard, and I'm sat next to him or standing next to him. Do you think somehow that might have an impact on me? I might want to bop him on the nose after a while. <laughs> but it would, wouldn't it? Just like, God, I'm so thankful, blah, 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 blah. You know, we have moments every day where we can be thankful, so thankful, finding folders at a bus stop by a stranger. God, I'm so thankful that Jemima didn't lose half a year's work because she was daft and left her folder there. Thank you, you're so gracious towards her, even though she's an idiot. No, <laughs> I'm joking. Calm down, calm down. A whole year's work. Oh, even worse then. Okay. Even more foolish then. Um, <laughs> we love her. We love her. And we just, um, you know, God's so gracious, isn't he? Just, just in moments where we need him. And Paul in his chains was singing and praising and worshipping God. And these prison guards were hearing all about his faith. We have to look for opportunities all the time for the gospel. Susanna Wesley, anybody know who Susanna Wesley is? Very good. Excellent. Yep. She is the mother of John and Charles Wesley. Now, Susanna Wesley, do you know how many children she had, apart from Charles and... Quite a few. Quite a few. Uh, so 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So front three rows, that's her family. Yeah. All the, all the mothers in the room are going, <laughs> Mother to 19 children, no dishwasher. No washing machine. No microwave probably felt that she might have been in chains at some point. Do you know what? It's hard bringing children up, isn't it? But 19 of them. Yet out of that, you get these two brothers, Charles and John, who had a massive impact in, in, in our country with, with the proclaim, proclaiming of the gospel and advancement of the gospel here. Whatever our chains, we look to see the gospel preached. I want to see, say also, see your circumstances uh, for the gospel to be preached amongst the lost. Good and evil, in the moral sense, do not reside in things, but they 
are always in people. Things and events, whether fortunate or unfortunate, are simply what they are because they are morally neutral. What matters is the way that we react to them. Only rarely are we masters of events, but along with those who help us, we are responsible for our reactions. Events give us pain or give us joy, but our growth is determined in our personal response to both. That's what Philip Yancey says. Whatever your circumstances is an opportunity for growth and maturing and getting deeper with God and seeing his gospel proclaimed. Okay, so firstly, we recognize that God's hand in our circumstances. Second, R, remember what it was? Very good. Realize. Realize that there are two types of people in our lives. Perhaps Paul at this point has heard some things that are going on outside the prison gates. He's not able to be there himself, but his friend Epaphrodites might have told him a little bit about what's happening. And there is preaching of the gospel happening around him outside the prison. And Paul is picking up a little bit of what's happening with those who are preaching. Some are doing it out of good intention and some are doing it out of bad intention. And you know what? I can find myself sometimes, if I'm honest, thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Do you find that? Particularly if you're in different circles uh, with um, uh, different contexts, perhaps, uh, where I think, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. I would have done it like this. And my ray's right, and they haven't got it quite right. I can find that. I'm just telling you. I know you're looking me totally shocked, and I think you don't feel this way at all. But we do, don't we? There's a disposition within us that somehow we've got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. And Paul's hearing that some are preaching out of bad motives and some are preaching out of good motives. And he doesn't seem to get hooked up in any sense of envy or rivalry. He doesn't sort of like, oof, they're taking all my disciples or they're taking all my members of my church or whatever it is, he seems to be okay with it. See, envy and rivalry are really serious words in the Bible. They're really serious words. Romans 1, when Paul's writing to the Romans, if you just read that, it's, it's sobering. Romans 1, about the sin of mankind, talks about being envious and having rivalry. He also talks in his letter to the Galatians about the works of the flesh. They're just very, these can be very human reactions to things. And in the same context of envy and rivalry, in his letter to Timothy, he talks about people who have lost their way. We never want to be people that are envious or have rivalry to other believers who are doing either better or worse than us. I remember reading um, uh, a book. Um, ha, I've forgotten his name now. Used to lead the church at Westminster Chapel. Um, um, who? No, 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 before. Um, Kendall, Kendall, Kendall. And I remember him reading his book. He, read, he wrote a book on jealousy. And uh, in his book, he, he talks, it's basically about the sin that nobody talks about. When was the last time you said, went up to somebody and said, you know, I've got a really jealous spirit about me? I know we've probably, 
in some way we've all got it and yet it's the sin that nobody talks about and so he he said you know when i was leaving the church at westminster chapel holy trinity brompton were just launching with alpha and uh, you know the success of the alpha course around the world and, and so on and uh, just amazing things happening at hdb and he said i knew within me there was this jealous spirit towards this other church in the same city that i'm working and worshiping and praising god in because they were seeing miraculous things happen through alpha and other things and yet at, at, at westminster chapel we weren't seeing the same he said i knew it was in me and i thought well done you for even writing a book about it and you know when we see god doing stuff in other places what is our what is our reaction to that what is is our heart to say we want to champion you it was lovely just being amongst the church leaders yesterday and just having that sense of you know if something's going really well at the baptist church do you know what we should be doing we should be standing and applauding and clapping if the guys over the road at salvation army suddenly see an influx of 300 people we should be standing and applauding and clapping we how we respond to those who are preaching the gospel whether we think they're doing it right or whether they're doing we're thinking it wrong it's important how we respond gordon fee i mentioned him earlier he he says this he's another theologian from uh, actually from canada he writes this paul can write things like this because first his theology is in good order he has learned the grace of god to see everything from a divine perspective this is not some wishfulness, but deep conviction that God had worked out his own divine intentions through the death and resurrection of Christ, and that by his spirit, he's carrying them out in the world through the church, and therefore both through himself and through others. It is not Paul is too heavenly minded to be in touch with reality, or that he sees things through a rosy tinted glasses rather than he sees it in light of the much bigger picture and in that big picture fully emblazoned is on the screen is calvary there is nothing that does not fit even if it means suffering and death on the way to resurrection such theology dominates this letter in every part we should not be surprised that it surfaces at the outset in this brief narrative Secondly, and related to the first, Paul is a man of single passion. It's Christ and the gospel. Everything is seen and done in the light of Christ. For him, both life and death mean Christ. His is the passion of the single-minded person who has been apprehended by Christ, and in, as he will tell the Philippines later in chapter 3. And thirdly, Paul's passion for Christ led him to the understanding of discipleship in which the disciple took up a cross to follow his Lord. Discipleship therefore meant to participate in the sufferings of Christ, to be ready to be poured out as a drink offering in ministry for the sake of others. His imprisonment belongs to the trials for which we were destined and thus comes as no surprise. Everything that Paul is experiencing is about the gospel. There are those that are for you and for the gospel. There are people that will be motivated to get alongside you to preach the gospel. We want to come and help you. 
I love what I love about the Friendship Week. It's bubbling into something that is more, I think, more than just us. That would be Paul's heart. He'd be saying, "Okay, Wave Family Church, during your Friendship Week, think about the gospel, build relationship, build church, encourage one another, get alongside one another, but don't do it at the exclusive exclusivity." Of those who are lost. Encourage one another. Get alongside one another. And there will be people that you know that will just be like sponges. They will. There are people ripe for harvest in our town. We've just got to find them. We've just got to find them. There will be people more at the bus stop, Marion, that are ripe for harvest. There will be difficulties, there will be challenges, there will be times where we feel like we're set back, there will be rejections. We know that. There are people perhaps we've prayed for, for a, I can think of people that are still unbelievers that we've prayed for, for almost from day one since we started the church. People we know in our town, good friends of us. Just like, at the cold face, it's hard. But there are people that are there and we need to find them. There are also people that will oppose you for the gospel. There are people who will make life difficult for you. And that's what we see in, in, in Paul's letter. He, he seems to be indicating that these guys are trying to make trouble for Paul. And there will be people out there that will make it difficult for you. And yet Paul is not waylaid by that. He's not put aside by that. So even though it's difficult... I rejoice because what's the ultimate goal? That the gospel's preached. If their motives are all cockhoot, does it matter if the gospel is preached? If people come into the... Do you know, I think when we get to heaven, there are going to be some surprises. There are. We're going to think, how did you get there? <laughs> we might think that. We might think that. I never knew. They're going to be surprised. They're, Guy Miller often talks about um, our life is, is like mountaineering a, 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 or climbing a mountain where there are many people on this mountain who are, if you like, sharing the gospel, reaching people for Christ. We are not the only mountain climbers in Weymouth. There are many, many mountain climbers. And I believe that, that we're going to see some amazing, amazing things happen when we get to heaven and we're just going to rejoice. And there'll be people that perhaps you have reached yourself and you think they've not got it. They've not heard it. They've not understood it. They don't get it. And yet somehow in the sovereignty of God, perhaps in their life, they do respond. And we're going to be surprised and see people. Our whole picture, the big picture is about seeing people come to know Christ. I'm conscious of time. Let's just finally move on to our third R. So we're recognizing God's hand in our circumstances, whether we are unchanged in particular points of our lives. Let God use that for, your, for, for the proclamation of the gospel. Secondly, realizing there are different people out there that some will proclaim the gospel with good intentions, some won't. Thirdly, lastly, and very simply, he finishes this passage with, and because of this, I rejoice. It's almost a throwaway comment, isn't it? It's just like, you know, 
Difficulties, yeah, recognize that. Yeah, people out there causing me trouble. Yeah, but Christ is preached. And for that, I rejoice. Is there any more to say? Not really. Some were motivated in a good way. Some were motivated in a bad way. But nonetheless, they were motivated. And with that, Paul can rejoice. You preach the gospel. You share your faith. I rejoice. Ken, share your faith. Share your faith. You're a man of God. Share your faith. You've got so much in you. Don't let your senior years stop you sharing your faith. Just encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. Guys, keep going. Just keep sharing. We want more. I want some more bus stop stories, okay? Doesn't have to be a bus stop, but you know what, get my heart? I want to hear it. I want to hear you. Just when was the last time? When was the last moment you, you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you just actually, maybe not shared your faith, but you just knew God was in that conversation, in that moment? We want to encourage each other. And when we do, we rejoice. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's, let's stand. We're going to close. You've heard enough of me playing, speaking, running around today. We won't close with another song, but let's just uh, let's just stand together if we can, and then we're going to break for tea and coffee. So please don't rush away. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this amazing gospel. Lord, I thank you, God, for you saved us. You've washed us clean. We are no longer under condemnation. Well, thank you. One day we will be with you, rejoicing. Hallelujah, God, for the goodness of God you've shown us. We are so, so grateful. And Father, I pray right into our lives this morning. I pray for those who feel like they are bound by chains. Lord, maybe it's finance. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's family relationships. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's looking for a job. Maybe it's, well, all things, Lord. We can feel like we are in chains. Lord, I ask you to come and meet with us in those places. And Lord, that we would not see this season of our life as a time to grumble or moan, but Lord, a time for opportunity for you to move in a way that perhaps you couldn't do if we weren't in that situation. Lord, I ask for strength for the weak. Lord, I ask for those who may have pleaded you, like Paul did, to take a certain thing away. And the voice from heaven says, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for you. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort those in difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray too that we would be people that are encouraging of one another. I pray we would be a church that blesses the other local churches in our town. I pray we would rejoice over their successes. I pray, Lord, that as we hear things going on, I think, wow, that's amazing. Lord, we would just be people that have encouragement on our lips. I pray for those who may cause us difficulty in preaching the gospel. Maybe there's some situations here where You've been ridiculed because of your faith. Would you just be conscious of what somebody might think? I ask for the grace and the boldness of Jesus Christ to come. Come on us, Lord, again. 
Lord, I pray salt, as Trev's reminded us, I pray the salt of the gospel would be right through us. And Lord, even in lives that we have seen being prayed for for years, Lord, I pray some breakthrough would come through. And Father, most of all, I pray that we would be a rejoicing people, a people that are so grateful for all that we have, all that you've done. And Lord, as we hear about salvation stories particularly, I pray, God, we will be celebrating with the angels in heaven over another life that has been saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.